Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai It's 7 o'clock Central African time. A very good morning to you and welcome to the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa giving you news from an African perspective. Broadcasting live from Johannesburg, South Africa. We are online on www.channelafrica.co.za. You can also find us on Channel 802 on the DSTV Audio Bouquet. My name is Teddy Sibir and driving the show with me this morning is Anne Musa and Tabiso Lehoko. Top stories on Africa rise and shine at this hour. U.S. politicians and celebrities join the Floyd family in a moving memorial for the 46-year-old who died at the hands of the police. The South African government prepares to head to court to, to defend the lockdown regulations. And in economics, a new report shows that Kenya's private sector continues to face falling levels of output and demand despite business activity going up slightly in May. But first, here are the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. I'm Anne Musa. Good morning. South Africa's health department has recorded the biggest daily increase in the number of coronavirus cases of 3,267 in the country. This brings the total number of cases to 40,792 from 37,525. The number of deaths have also increased by 56 to 848. Zoleka Kodashe reports. The increase of 3,267 new coronavirus cases is the highest daily increase recorded in the country to date. The Eastern Cape has again overtaken Gauteng, this time by 91 cases, as the provinces record 4,936 and 4,845 cases respectively. The Western Cape, which is the epicenter, remains on the same trajectory, recording 27,006 cases. Premier in the province, Alan Windy, had warned that it would fast approach the 100,000 mark. This as 54 of the new 56 deaths were also recorded in the Western Cape. Senegal has announced it will ease a curfew and lift restrictions on intercity travel following two nights of protests. More than 200 people have been detained for questioning by police following spontaneous demonstrations in towns across the country overnight. The protesters had been demanding an end to the curfew introduced in March to fight the pandemic. The Interior Ministry says the start of the curfew would be pushed back by two hours and now run from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning local time. Transport restrictions are being relaxed and restaurants, gyms and casinos are due to reopen with immediate effect. Iran has reported a record daily increase in the number of coronavirus cases, stoking fears of a second wave in the Middle East's biggest outbreak. Iran's health ministry says over 3,500 new COVID-19 infections were recorded, bringing the total to more than 164,000. Another 59 people have died from COVID-19-related illnesses, raising the toll to over 8,000. 
South Africa's ruling ANC has declared the day as Black Friday to mark the police killing of George Floyd in the U.S. town of Minneapolis more than a week ago. The death has sparked widespread protests in America and solidarity protests across the world. The first of a series of memorials for Floyd was held in Minneapolis on Thursday. The ANC's Deputy Secretary General Jesse Duarte addressed the media via video link. Friday the 5th of June 2020 at 1900 hours through an event to be addressed by the ANC president and other alliance leaders will launch its campaign of solidarity with the people of the USA. It will start our own Black Friday where henceforth we are called upon to wear black on Friday for the next three weeks. At last night's memorial service in Minneapolis, family and friends joined by politicians and celebrities paid tribute to George Floyd, who died after a policeman knelt on his neck. The service was held at the North Central University in the city where civil rights leader Reverend Al Sharpton delivered a hard-hitting eulogy. George Floyd's story has been the story of black folks. Because ever since 401 years ago, the reason we could never be who we wanted and dreamed to be in is you kept your knee on our neck. We were smarter than the underfunded schools you put us in, but you had your knee on our neck. We could run corporations and not hustle in the street. But you had your knee on our neck. And finally, in sports news, former Lions speedster Tyron Green says he's excited with his move to Harlequins. The speedster first came through the ranks as a fly half but went on to impress as an outside back. Harlequins boss Paul Gustard confirmed that Tyron is someone they have been watching for a considerable time. Green says he always wanted to make a move to England since he was young. I've always wanted to make a move to England since I was younger. And I think Harlequins is one club that's appealed to me for quite a while now. And watching as much rugby as you can from this side. So yeah, very excited for the move. The rugby that Harlequins are busy playing has been actually very entertaining. I think that was a big deciding factor for me also in the decision process. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. That was Anne Musa with the news update for today, the 5th of June, 2020. Family and friends of George Floyd, joined by politicians and celebrities, paid tribute to the late 46-year-old while demanding justice for his death at the first of a series of memorials to be held ahead of his funeral next Tuesday. The North Central University in Minneapolis was the venue for heartfelt tributes from members of, of his family, followed by a steering eulogy by civil rights leader Rev Al Shapton. Some 10 days after Floyd was brutally killed by police in what Shepton called a criminal justice malfunction, Show and Price Peace reports. 
Mourners pay tribute through song and words of reflection for a brother, father, uncle and friend much loved by his family and his community. Everyone seeking justice, as George Floyd's brother, Philonise Floyd, explained. All these people came to see my brother and that's amazing to me that he touched so many people's hearts, you know, because he's been touching our hearts, you know. You know, I'm just staying strong as I can, because I need to get it out. I need to get it out. Everybody wants justice. We want justice for George. He's going to get it. He's going to get it. The Reverend Al Sharpton, known for his stirring eulogies, called Floyd's story the story of black people in the United States. George Floyd's story has been the story of black folks. Because ever since 401 years ago, the reason we could never be who we wanted and dreamed to be in is you kept your knee on our neck. We were smarter than the underfunded schools you put us in, but you had your knee on our neck. We could run corporations and not hustle in the street, but you had your knee on our neck. We had creative skills. We could do whatever anybody else could do, but we couldn't get your knee off our neck. What happened to Floyd happens every day in this country in education, in health services, and in every area of American life, it's time for us to stand up in George's name and say, get your knee off our necks. While many mourned, three of the four former officers charged with aiding and abetting in Floyd's murder appeared in court for the first time, remanded on a $750,000 bond each. As peaceful protests continued across the country, reflecting an increasingly diverse demographic. There is a time and a season. And when I looked this time and saw marches where in some cases young whites outnumbered the blacks marching, I know that it's a different time and a different season. When I looked and saw people in Germany marching for George Floyd, it's a different time and a different season. When they went in front of the parliament in London, England, and said it's a different time and a different season, I come to tell you, America, this is the time of dealing with accountability in the criminal justice system. A large crowd also turned up to memorialize Floyd in New York, while in Washington, Senate Democrats paused in a moment of silence on Capitol Hill, many kneeling to honor his memory. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. 
South Africa's government will appeal the judgment handed down in the North Gauteng High Court that lockdown regulations which kicked in for Level 4 and 3 are invalid and unconstitutional. This was announced by a minister in the presidency, Jackson Mtembu, following a cabinet meeting specially convened to discuss the matter in Pretoria yesterday, Busi Chimombe reports. Cabinet will not be taking the ruling of the North Gauteng High Court without a fight. The court ruled that Level 3 and Alert Level 4 lockdown regulations breached the Constitution and directed the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Gosazanetlamini Zuma, in consultation with other ministers, to amend, review and republish the regulations. However, Minister in the Presidency, Jackson Tembo, says government is confident that it has behaved within the law and will lodge an appeal. In our view, those regulations were properly enacted and they served a particular purpose and within the framework of our National Disaster Management Act. So we we don't believe that uh, uh, anybody or any other court will come to the same conclusion as the North Gauteng High Court came to. The court has given government 14 days to address the situation, meaning that the regulations remain in effect for now, as Mtembu explains. We want to appeal to all our people that uh, regulations that kicked in level 4, regulations that kicked in level 3, including all the directions that came from various ministers, they remain in force. All those remain in force, uh, including all the health regulations and health protocols uh, that uh, we, have craft, we have crafted as a country. Cabinet has also resolved to extend the national state of disaster until the 15th of July. After the expiry of this initial three months of the national state of disaster on the 15th of June, we will extend it by another month uh, until July. If there is a need for us to extend again in July based on scientific evidence, we will do so as cabinet because the law allows us to have month-to-month extensions. President Cyril Ramaphosa is due to visit the Western Cape on Friday to assess the situation in the province, which is the epicenter of South Africa's COVID-19 pandemic. Mtembu was unwilling to be drawn on speculation regarding if any measures besides those already announced to deal with hotspots will be discussed with Premier Alan Windy. And that's a report by Busi Chimombe. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa.
For your latest update on the novel coronavirus, also called COVID-19, for Channel Africa from Planta in Malawi, I am George Mohango. Washing your hands with soap and water or using alcohol-based hand rub kills viruses that may be on your hands. 16 minutes after 7 Central African time, you are still tuned in to Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Teddy Sibia, right here on Channel Africa. For any comments on the show, please do send us a WhatsApp message to plus 27763003327. You can also send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. Members of Parliament have expressed their unhappiness at reports that Defence Force leadership has ignored recommendations made by the Defence's Force Service Commission. The commission was established in 2009. Its mandate is to, among others, make recommendations for improvements of salaries and service benefits of members of the South African National Defence Force. During a briefing uh, to the Joint Standing Committee, the Commission expressed the frustration that for years their recommendations have been ignored, Joseph Messiah reports. The Defence Force Service Commission was established in 2009 in terms of the Defence Act. One of the main reasons for its establishment was to discourage members of the SANDF from joining unions by taking up concerns they raise with the Minister. In some of its reports, the Commission has listed some appalling conditions under which soldiers have to work. There is also general frustration about issues such as promotions. Commission Chairperson Ian Robertson informed members, however, that they have issued reports, but nothing is done. We have had great difficulty in uh, really getting uh, serious responses uh, from uh, the Secretary Defense, uh, for Defence over the years, right? Uh, what we've presented is, is a combination of recommendations from the interim commission, which overlaps with the present commission. Many of the recommendations are the same. The meetings were set up, but we've had no response in terms of follow-up meetings from SECDEF since 2017. Members of the committee were outraged by this. They said it was high time the ministry explained why they were not acting on the commission's recommendations. Minister Nosevue Mapisa Ngakula was not at the meeting and Deputy Minister Taba Makweta could not provide answers as he said the matters are handled directly by the minister. Committee Chairperson Cyril Kaba. It's, it's high time that we put this matter on the table and get uh, the leadership of the DOD to just talk to, to us on this. You, there was a reason, a good reason, why we established um, a, the, the Defence Service Commission. Good reason. But you, you are there to fulfil that, uh, uh, that purpose. But somehow, what you put on, on what, what, you, what, what you convey, what you submit to them, falls on deaf ears. ANC MP Tabo Mutle and his DA counterpart Kubas Mare agreed that it was not acceptable that such an important body was being rendered useless and that there need to be answers. It is the minister who must be able to take us into confidence. What are the challenges in terms of implementation of those uh, uh, recommendations respectively? Where they find challenges because it is minister's prerogative to to instruct the SECDEF to implement some of this recommendation upon internalizing them and uh, 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 seeing the needs for them to, to be implemented. I fully agree 
that it, that it makes no sense for us to have an, a, 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 a defense service commission and there's the perception that some leaders in the defense force are being arrogant and is basically deciding what they want to and will accept and will follow. That is just not acceptable. Deputy Minister Makwetla could not give answers as to why the commission's recommendations were not being implemented. He agreed with members, however, that this was unacceptable. It is a sensitive matter if the recommendations of the commission do not gain traction, because if that is a syndrome and is being going on for a while, I think we ourselves as, uh, as leaders, the, the ministry, the commission, members of parliament, the portfolio committee, I mean the Joint Standing Committee on Defence, we must make it a point that we draw sufficient attention to this unacceptable situation. The recommendations of the commission must be seen to be done, to be implemented, to be taken serious, to, to carry weight. And that's a report by Joseph Mosiah. Job hunting can be tough at the best of times, but job hunting during the COVID-19 pandemic brings an added layer of uncertainty. If you're looking for a job at the moment, you're probably wondering how the pandemic will affect your chances. Many companies have had to adjust to the new normal of having their employees working from home, while others have to cut down on their staff, resulting in massive job losses. The question then becomes, how does one secure new employment during a global pandemic? To answer this question and more, Vumi Limsweli, the CEO of Hester Consulting and career coach joins us on the line. Good morning and welcome to Channel Africa. Good morning, good morning, Teddy. Good morning, listeners. How are you? We are very well, thank you. Vumile, how has COVID-19 changed the landscape of job hunting? I think it's been a, it's, it's actually just digitized it. We were speaking about the fourth industrial revolution, thinking that the robots are here, not realizing that we will be the ones who are, who are sort of um, incarcerated in our homes. Mm. So, that shift has definitely impacted the way job hunting is going and obviously the skills that are required. Um, a lot of companies, as you mentioned, are really trimming down the fat. So if, you're, if you're bringing a nice-to-have skill and not an essential skill, that will actually result in um, the bottom line. A lot of companies are no longer looking at that. Yes. Now, which industries are actively hiring I mean, uh, during uh, these times? So we've seen quite a peak in our telecommunications industries. So they're actually now acquiring more people. We're also finding more uh, consulting and niche, niches sort of coming up from a financial perspective. And interestingly enough, also we're looking at um, the likes of, re- of redesigners, so guys bringing a design thinking into into corporate to help um, help redefine the new culture and the way of doing business, also seeing an increase in, um, in their services being required. Yes, but now what can people do? I mean, to remain productive while actively searching for employment? So that's a very good question. I think the first step is get skills that you can pivot. So if you've been saying, oh, I really need to do this course, I was thinking um, I should sign up for uni at some point, now is the perfect time to actually improve your skills. So don't waste the time saying I'm still waiting for a job. Make use of the likes of MOOCs, so there's a, a mobile open um, courses. So you've got Coursera, Khan Academy, Udemy, a number of courses that you can now do online 
as well as some of our South African universities. I'm seeing in West Pretoria, UCT also offering courses online. Use the time to improve your skill set. Do not rest on your laurels with where you with what skill set you have currently. I mean, would you say it's also a good time to be maybe changing uh, careers for people who have been uh, thinking uh, of doing just that? It's, if you're able to, uh, to do it strategically, yes, you can. But obviously, the challenge then becomes a lot of people, when they change careers, usually have to take a, a financial job loss. I mean, fi- a financial loss, a little bit of an impact there. So if you are in a financial position to to swap careers and, and go to the, you know, what, what is really is your passion at this point, I say definitely look at it, but do your financial calculations very, very carefully. And also remember that usually when we start looking at job losses, it's first in, first out. So for stability's sake, I'd rather say acquire that job, the job skills and experience as a side hustle for now. Don't leave where you are right now until things settle down. I mean, right now, as is, many people have uh, suffered job losses. Uh, perhaps what advice could you give them to try to get back uh, into the job market? The first is identify organizations who would require your skills. So I like to call it putting virtual tabs on them. Uh, I mean, by putting some Google alerts and seeing what's happening in the industry and in the organization, you're able to better position the conversation. You're also able to better package what it is that you do. The second thing is forget forget the fact that you're a niche expert and this is the only thing you do. Organizations now need people who are able to pivot their skills. So, for example, if you've always been in marketing, that might not be the the biggest demand right now, and you're finding that maybe communication is what they're looking for. So if you're able to pivot your marketing skills to, to address the need that the organization has, you're really a step ahead. And um, as we know, and I always say this to all my clients, People hire people. People buy from people. So if you're just relaxing, thinking, no, they'll come to me, it's not going to work. You need to master the art of network relationship building. So online, how are you building relationships? How are you maintaining those relationships? How are you networking effectively online? Because the days of, oh, uh, let's meet at Tasha's for coffee are long gone. Mm. And lastly, Vumile, I mean, you are also a a career coach. So should people uh, seek or perhaps want to have a bit of advice from you personally? Uh, How do we go about uh, doing that? Yes, um, the conversation we can continue definitely on the social media street. You can reach out to me at Vumile Msweli, V-U-M-I-L-E-M-S. W E L I V U M I L E M S W E L I, and I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn as well as Twitter. But if you need some career coaching advice, our team at Hesed Consulting can also assist you. Spelled H E S E D Consulting C O N S U L T I N G. So you can reach us also on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, or on our website at www.hesedconsulting.co.za. Vumuli, thank you so much for joining us on the line and we hope that you'll enjoy the rest of your day. Will do. Everybody stay safe. Happy job hunting. That was Vumuli Msueli, CEO of Hester Consulting and a career coach on the line joining us. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus, also called COVID-19, for Channel Africa, I am James Shimanyula in Nairobi, Kenya. Maintain at least one meter, that is three feet distance, between yourself and anyone who is coughing or sneezing.
across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netle to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. It's 7.30 Central African time. You are still tuned in to Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Teddy Sibia. But for now, here are the news headlines with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. I'm Anne Moussa. Good morning. African countries have secured 90 million test kits for the coronavirus for the next six months. Iran has reported a record daily increase in the number of coronavirus cases, stoking fears of a second wave in the Middle East's biggest outbreak. And South Africa's ruling ANC has declared the day as Black Friday to mark the police killing of George Floyd in the U.S. town of Minneapolis more than a week ago. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. The African states and the European Union are expected to negotiate a new strategy to to be adopted for cooperation between the two continents at the EU-Africa summit scheduled for October. Ahead of this, the European Commission has released a communication outlining its proposed key areas for discussion at the upcoming meeting. An analyst organized by the Independent Institute of Security Studies have in a virtual meeting discussed what is missing in the proposed communiques from Europe. Channel Africa's Coleta Wanjohi reports from Addis Ababa. 
In 2017 in Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire, the African Union and European Union leaders held a summit to define the future direction for cooperation between the two continents. Three years later, another summit is planned for October. And the European Union has released a communique outlining areas that European Union feels should be given priority in their future relations with Africa. These include green transitions and energy access, digital transformation, sustainable growth and jobs, peace and governance, and migration and mobility. The Institute for Security Studies has brought together African analysts to discuss these suggestions further. Sion Tadese Abebe, a senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies in Addis Ababa, says Europe's proposed strategy for relations with Africa lacks a people-centered approach. Hence, is one element missed in the communique is only highlighted in relation to workers' rights, improving access to digital technology, and promotion of investments, with the issue of pandemics being mentioned only once. This is despite the fact that the Abidjan Declaration under paragraph 34 discussed the importance of prevention and response to disease outbreaks, as well as supporting the Africa Center for Disease Control. Applying the people-centered approach will facilitate inclusion of enhancing Africa's health systems and preparedness to deal with pandemics. Second, access to internet and digital literacy are overlooked in the communique, which matter a lot to the African continent. Sion adds that the angle of relations that Europe wants to address on the issue of migration does not factor in the positives that come out of Africans moving to Europe. In the communique, migration is framed from the security perspective with emphasis on fighting irregular migration and enhancing return and readmission. Brain drain and diaspora, two key issues that matter to the African continent, are also overlooked. On brain drain, in the health sector alone, since 2010, nine African countries, Ethiopia, Kenya, Malawi included, have lost more than $2 billion US dollars from training doctors who then migrated. Here, the application of the people-centered approach will help to understand the developmental benefit of migration and to realize that the majority, 21 million migrants, live within the continent, further to 25.2 million, forcibly displaced. George Mukundi, the chief executive officer of Mendeleo Group, adds that Europe should desist from looking at Africans attempting to move to Europe as a threat. It seems to me that the Europeans still continue to look at migration from a peace uh, and securitization angle. I think that's not our strategy. That's not necessarily our idea. We want to see our people being able to go to Europe uh, without being discriminated, uh, being looked upon or waiting for years to get visas. Many of our people also being able to remit their resources, which they worked extremely hard, back into our countries, and really harnessing migration for development as opposed to uh, ensuring that our people, one, are not able to enter those places. So safe, secure migration. Mukundi explains further that Europe is still looking at how it can help Africa as opposed to how it can work with Africa as equals. For me, uh, the very uh, clear point uh, that uh, remains stuck in my mind is that Although it's a very good start, it remains uh, still a very technical document offering solution and financial support to the Africans as opposed to a partnership very based on what as citizens we would want to see ownership, legitimacy and leadership from our people. And I'm not necessarily su suggesting that that can only be found outside the AU. It's to then say 
if the AU wants to engage with Africa, it has to also be very clear who is its interlocutor. It leaves that very open, and I think it's very strategic and it should not be missed because it then also suggests to them that they want to act or engage many, many other actors. Analysts say the agreements made in the African Union-European Union meeting in Abidjan in 2017 were left open without a tool of accountability and monitoring. They hope in this year's meeting this will be factored in. Coletta Njoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. The UN Child Agency, UNICEF, is working with the South African Department of Social Development to address the situation of children in the country at this critical time. The COVID-19 lockdown has made children more vulnerable to abuse, neglect and social Psychosocial distress, rather, in addition to school closures and restrictions on movement, has disrupted children's routines, while also placing additional responsibilities on parents and caregivers. Meanwhile, the country has been marking a Child Protection Week, which takes place annually from late May to early June. UNICEF South Africa is... uh, Rather, Chief of Child Protection and Social Policy, Mike Herbert, tells us more. We started the, uh, during lockdown with the whole campaign through podcasts and, and radio uh, briefings to raise awareness for children on how to keep themselves safe from the spread of COVID through hand washing, distancing, wearing of masks, address their mental health, to raise awareness on their rights, and to give parenting advice on how to deal with the parenting at home and online learning. Then together with Viacom, we organized a benefit concert together with the World Food Program to feed the children on the continent. We have been working with Childline through nine uh, centers around the country to counsel children through 86 mm. social uh, counselors on uh, at, to address the levels of fear and anxiety during social isolation when being at home. And then uh, with NACCW, we had a virtual program to counsel children in distress at home and to guide them on how to study online. And today we are hosting a big webinar with the uh, DSD on online safety to make sure that while children are learning online, they keep themselves safe from sexual exploitation and abuse. Now, what are some of the challenges faced in ensuring that the much-needed aid to children is delivered effectively, and how is the agency dealing with that? So, first of all, we had a big campaign to set up hand-washing stations to ensure that children have access to safe water. And now we are raising funds to deliver buckets full of care so that families in distress uh, receive buckets with sanitation and with masks and that houses can be uh, sanitized. We have been raising funds for delivery of food parcels. We are working with government to ensure there is a concerted effort to food relief and nutrition. And also the return of schools uh, is remains a controversial issue. What do you think still needs to be done to get South Africans to be fully comfortable with the reopening of schools so that the right to education is ensured? Well, first of all, all the schools need to be fully prepared and be sanitized and ensure that there is access to safe water so that when children come to school, they first need to queue in order to take the temperature, that they wash their hands, they wear their masks, 
but they are also being taught on how to keep a distance from each other instead of running around and hugging their friends, but basically respect the, the, the one-half-meter distance that they need to do. So it's very important that all the parents talk to their children to prepare them to go to school because the new normal is completely different from where they left the school uh, before lockdown. Yes. And that there, is a that there is guidance to teachers on how to teach in this environment and keep children safe so that they can create a conducive environment for learning. Now, you did mention that there is a webinar uh, taking place uh, today. How can people participate? So the Department of Social Development has announced all the levels on SABC and YouTube this morning so that people can participate at 2 o'clock this afternoon from 2 till 3.30. There will be seven speakers, including a child herself and a parent, to understand how to keep yourself safe online during this time that more children are online for learning and to stay in touch with family and friends. Yes. Now, lastly, the commemoration of Child Protection Week. What purpose has it been serving? So the most important thing about Child Protection Week, which is supposed to be for 365 days a year, is to raise awareness about children and their rights. What we have seen is that um, levels of anxiety and fear have intensified, but also children's exposure to physical and emotional abuse. So it's very important to keep highlighting the plight of children to be safe at all times and to ensure that their rights to learning and uh, a safe environment are upheld at all times. And that's Mikey Haybricks, the Chief of Child Protection and P- Social Policy at UNICEF South Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus COVID-19 for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, I'm Coletta Wanjohi. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body and make you sick. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulitranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus, for Channel Africa in Kinshasa in the DRC, I'm Jean-Noël Bamweze. Stay informed on the latest developments about COVID-19. Visit the World Health Organization's website to get more information. Forty-three minutes after seven Central African time, this is Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Teddy CBR on Channel Africa. We are broadcasting live from Johannesburg, South Africa. Should you wish to follow us across our social media platforms, you can find us on Facebook at Channel Africa. You can also find us on Twitter at Channel Africa One.
The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Somalia says the political and security gains made by the country over recent years are likely to be at risk of reversal if swift action is not taken by the international community to help local authorities avert a major humanitarian crisis due to the widespread impact of COVID-19, floods and locust infestation. James Shimanyula reports. The head of the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Somalia, Justin Brady, says the Horn of Africa nation's coping mechanisms are significantly less than those of the neighboring countries. Speaking in the capital Mogadishu, Bradley had this to say. The impact of it is not simply humanitarian, but has the potential to reverse some of the political and security gains that the international community has invested in over the past decade. We need to continue to work together. And I think some of the gains we made in 2017 of expanding coordination, the private sector with civil society, more engagement with the diaspora, all of these are needed now. We'll all hands on deck approach in order to avert the worst in Somalia. More than a half a million people have been displaced by recent floods in Somalia's central regions, while the country is also dealing with a severe locust infestation which threatens food security. At the same time, Somalia has been responding to the spread of COVID-19 pandemic, Bradley said. The UN's warning takes into account Somalia's inherent structural weaknesses which make the country far more vulnerable than other countries in the region and calls for an all-hands-on-deck approach to avert the worst crisis. Since November last year, the UN has been working closely with the local authorities and the partners to determine and meet the most urgent needs of Somalis affected by floods, including dispatching emergency supplies and providing life-saving services through partners on the ground. The assistance continues to this day, says Bradley. We are deploying shelter and non-food items, food items, as looking at the potential for infectious disease such as acute watery diarrhea and cholera that often emerge during these times of flood. As has been said, more than half a million people have been rendered homeless by the floods that Justin Brady is referring to. Since 1990, Somalia has experienced 30 climate-related hazards, 12 droughts, and 18 floods. Like many other countries in the world, Somalia has been hit by COVID-19. As of Thursday, Somalia recorded 2,146 cases of COVID-19 with 79 deaths. The pandemic has led to major socioeconomic disruptions across Somalia, including a reduction in remittances from the diaspora itself, a mainstay for many Somalis. Justin Brady, the head of the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, recaps his reflection on floods, COVID-19, and locust infestation. We have a situation in there where the two problems of COVID and flooding are converging and reinforcing the impact on the population. And then with the locusts, what we expect is to see a portion of the crops this year lost to the locust infestation.
which will compound the food security and nutrition situation for many Somalis. At this juncture, it may be important to note that as Somalia struggled with the floods and locust infestation, COVID-19 struck and aggravated the situation by putting pressure on the country's fragile health system, thereby causing a major public health crisis. World Health Organization representative in Somalia, Dr. Mamnur Rahman Malik, says unless the country gets adequate funding from international donors, it will not be able to respond to the Mogadishu government needs. According to Dr. Malik, the funding gaps are in the areas of case management, surveillance, and laboratory diagnostics and coordination. Somalia cases remain undiagnosed, undetected, the quarantine measures are not working as efficiently as we expect, and then what is happening, the chain of transmission is continuing. Dr. Malik says the World Health Organization and other international agencies require more than 25 million United States dollars to support the federal government in Somalia in critical response areas. However, only 20% of this amount is available, leaving a huge funding gap. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. You are still tuned into Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Teddy Sibia, right here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. For now, here are the Economics News with Tabiso Lehoko. morning. Financial Services Group Standard Bank has kick-started its distribution of 200,000 US dollars worth of equipment to health institutions across Zimbabwe for use 
by frontline workers in the fight against COVID-19. The Standard Bank Group subsidiary pledged to purchase equipment to help fight the pandemic in April and has now taken delivery of material. This includes pieces of personal protective equipment comprising suits, face masks, shields and goggles and sanitizers. Five ventilators are expected in Zimbabwe later this month. The Cape Town Container Terminal and the Cape Town Multipurpose Terminal in South Africa's Western Cape Province remain operational despite the increase in number of positive COVID-19 cases in the Western Cape Province. These terminals have been moving important export cargo since Level 5. Acting Terminal Manager Oscar Borchers says despite allowing periods of self-quarantine while awaiting results, the loading and offloading of cargo continues. He says that they will continue to monitor shift performance as well as compliance to standard COVID-19 preventative measures that the terminals have put in place. Wines of South Africa says about 80 sellers are expected to close down following the ban on the sale of alcohol during lockdown levels 4 and 5. The wine industry contributes 5 million or rather millions of US dollars to the economy annually with half of the wines being exported. Wines of South Africa spokesperson Marina Kalo says that there has been an estimated 18,000 job losses in the industry already. At this stage, it looks like, for the most part, we have had very sympathetic importers and retailers in our international markets. Uh, I think the fact that there was a fair amount of media attention around the fact that we were not allowed to export has made uh, a, a big case for us as South Africa. As our exporters haven't been seen to be unreliable as such, it was merely a case of they simply weren't allowed to export. So I think over a period of time we will see the long-term impact but we're hoping that it will be minimal uh, as things unfold. Meanwhile, French distillers will start collecting wine this morning. Vast quantities of unsold French wine are to be used to make hand sanitizing fluid and bioethanol. This after a collapse in sales and exports due to coronavirus, the BBC's Denny Eberhardt reports. It'll make many proud French winemakers wince, but at least millions of litres of their produce will now be used to help prevent the spread of a virus that's helped bring the industry to its knees. The distilled alcohol will be destined for the pharmaceutical and cosmetic industries, not for making spirits. Producers will be compensated, with more being paid for certified regional wines like Bordeaux or Burgundy. So spare a thought when next sanitising. Detect its nose, perhaps, but whatever you do, don't be tempted to drink. A new report shows that Kenya's private sector continued to face falling levels of output and demand despite business activity going up slightly in May. The Stanbic Kenya Purchasing Managers Index rose to 367 34.8 in April amid warning that business conditions would continue worsening. However, the slight rise was insignificant as readings below 50 indicate deteriorating business conditions while readings above signal improvement. 
The US dollar is trading at 386.74 Nigerian Nara, 11.59 Botswana Pula, 104.97 Kenyan Shilling, and 18.4 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, is starting off in Brazil. One US dollar will cost you 508 in Russia, 16.8 rubles 96 in India, 75 rupees 12 China, 7 yuan 11, and in South Africa, a US dollar trades at 16 rand 93. The US dollar is also trading at 79 pence to the British pound and at 88 cents to the euro. A look at commodities markets now. Gold $1,709, platinum $827 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $39.40 a barrel. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That brings up uh, to the rep. That brings us actually to the rap of Africa Rise and Shine for today. From myself, a TDCB producer, Luanda Maume, technical producer, Mario Edwards, and the rest of the Africa Rise and Shine team. Thank you so much for listening. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news and masterclass Africa is Scoopsam by Makesh. Do keep safe. Humble's in, 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 humble's in